Blog Talk Radio. Do you solemnly swear that you will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that you will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, that you would take this obligation freely, without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion, and that you will well and faithfully discharge the duties of the office on which you are about to enter, so help you God. Congratulations, you're now members of the 114th Congress. I'm a strong believer that how we treat each other matters. As public servants, it's our job to work in the spirit of comity to move this nation forward. But we also need all of you working with us to assure America's strong future. Tonight, I cannot speak to you without acknowledging that the bickering and brinksmanship we see too often in our politics is advantaging no political party. It weakens our nation. We can be fervent in our disagreements without being factitious with our beliefs. We can be tough without being toxic. To my colleagues in Congress, we will never be better off without being better. Congress is unable to do the work of the American people because too many politicians believe that compromise means capitulation. This has got to change because just as bees cannot sting and make honey at the same time, members of Congress cannot simultaneously make passionate enemies and expect political progress. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen of America and all of our listeners around the world. This is AJC Radio, Spotlight on Capitol Hill, and tonight is no exception of raising the bar. Tonight we shine the light on Congressman Emanuel Cleaver out of Missouri. Folks, hang on to your seats. Spotlight on Capitol Hill kicks off right now. And there you have it. I'm Lamont Banks, along with Cliff Stewart, Dennis Merritt, William Williams. Lisa is off tonight. And, folks, I'll tell you right now, Spotlight on Capitol Hill is getting better every single time. And uh, tonight uh, we're going to be shining the light on Congressman Emanuel Cleaver out of Missouri. Dennis, we were talking about some of the things he is passionate about, definitely dealing with the housing market issues uh, as far as for the middle, uh, as far as the poor uh, affordable housing, things along those lines, making it possible, again, really a pivot off of what we talked about the other night with the homelessness issues in America. Your thoughts on the Congress as we get ready to shine the light? Exactly. A very big issue. I mean, uh, we talked about it the other day about how, uh, you know, there's uh, not enough housing. And if there is housing out there, it's uh, very expensive. Uh, and, and that's why we have such a, a homeless, you know, a, a amount of homelessness right now because of the housing uh, situation. But uh, the congressman is working working on that, trying to make sure that, you know, we get throughout, not not only in his 
uh, in Missouri, but, you know, all across the nation to make sure we understand that we do have a problem, and uh, that problem is truly housing. That's why we have such a a homeless audience. No, absolutely. And Congressman Cleaver uh, is now serving his sixth term, uh, representing Missouri's 5th Congressional District, uh, the home of District uh, of President Harry Truman, actually. Uh, he is a member of the exclusive House Financial Services Committee, uh, the ranking member of the, of the Subcommittee on Housing and Insurance, and also a senior whip of the Democratic Caucus. Uh, so he's out there. Uh, also, he is on the Oversight uh, and Investigations uh, Committee, doing some stuff, I'll tell you, that needs to be addressed. Uh, the, dealing with the security of health insurance uh, for millions of middle-class Americans, dealing with a lot of issues, Homeland Security, uh, to make sure that we are doing everything we can uh, to be safe. Also calling to account police officers, getting away from the militarization, if you will, of, pol- of uh, police departments across the United States. And we're going to hear uh, from him, uh, a, a really a team player, even in the, in the he, he spoke also at the DNC this year uh, in support of Hillary Clinton. Uh, I, I, he's just doing some things, and we're going to get into all of those things, dealing with things that really affect uh, the American people. Medicare spending, all of those things that, that affect millions of Americans uh, across the United States. Before we get any further, uh, William, our disclaimer, please. Yes, we are not attorneys, and it just calls does not provide legal advice. Please contact your personal legal advisor for your legal needs. Also, the opinions expressed by callers and guests do not necessarily reflect that of a just cause or HAC radio. As always, thank you for tuning in and choosing to spend time with us this evening. And thank you for that. And, uh, again, we're going to get into that here momentarily uh, as we get into all the things that are going on. Folks, we're going to ask you tonight also to go out to change.org. Uh, every show, all of our shows are dedicated as an organization uh, to the IRP6. Uh, who are they? Dave Zapolo, Demetrius Harper, David Banks, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, and Gary Walker. Uh, go out to change.org. Just search IRP6, pull up the petition out there, sign the petition as we as an advocacy group ask President Obama to grant clemency to these men. Uh, These men have been uh, wrongfully convicted, languishing in prison for the last four years. Uh, It is time and high time uh, that action be taken right away to bring these men home as we get ready, uh, as time continues to fly uh, for the holiday season, and uh, we want nothing more than to try to bring these men home. Again, go to change.org, search IRP6, sign the petition today, and uh, we would appreciate that. Um, also, and we're going to just speak a little bit about some current news going on. Everybody knows what's going on in the news these days. We have to, as a, as a radio organization, uh, touch on, uh, of course, the, uh, the, the election season, uh, and we're dealing with right now um, allegations of sexual assault, uh, by Donald Trump, uh, I guess, has taken the airwaves over uh, where some female accusers have actually come forward. Uh, based upon, the, you know, they, they're calling it tape gate, uh, uh, the hot mic uh, tape gate, if you will, uh, on the bus with Access Hollywood, the statements that were made. It is an outcry in this country right now for this type of behavior. Uh, notably today, Michelle Obama came out. I've never heard a more sincere presentation, if you will, that came directly from the heart from Michelle Obama as a mother. Uh, and she said she was terrified that her, that I wonder if my children heard this and mothers like that all over the country 
Uh, and it, I think they make a good point, Dennis. They said it doesn't matter whether you're Republican, Democrat, Independent, whatever you are, those type of comments just cannot be tolerated by a commander-in-chief that, is, that runs this country. And exactly. And then, uh, you know, it brings about, uh, you know, when you think about your daughters or, your, you, you, you know, even young men, I mean, uh, to use the analogy of uh, locker room talk, I mean, uh, stuff like that, that just don't cut it. I mean, uh, the, the, the uh, athletes of our day uh, truly don't agree with uh, that as being locker room talk. Well, LeBron James came out and made the statement, this is not locker room talk. He said, we have mothers, we have daughters, we have sisters. He said, I have children. He said, I want to tell you right now on the record, this is not locker room talk. Uh, I've been in a few locker rooms over my lifetime. That's not locker room. Sexual assault is not locker room talk. No. no. I would just, just like, just not that. I would just like to know uh, what locker room he was in. I mean, I, I don't know if uh, uh, Mr. Trump is indeed a uh, – uh, athlete, but uh, I'm just trying to figure out what locker room he was in. Well, it, it, it minimizes, the sad part about it, it minimizes the impact of this type of right. talk. Uh, and at the end of the day, look, the talk is unacceptable. I don't care whose mouth it comes exactly. out of. However, you are running for president of the United States of America, and if you have a weakness uh, that you cannot, as he said on that tape, uh, I just I can't control myself. I just go at it. We have a problem. Because there are hundreds of women in and out of the White House daily. Uh, what are we going to do? Well, well, I think the one thing that we need to, we need to understand is that this, no way is this locker room talk. It was, it was a bragging about, you know, people of power. I'm in power. I have this influence. I can buy. I can do this kind of stuff. So, so really, that's what it was. It was about him in this position and how he can manipulate or try to manipulate women. And what he would just, you know, and because I have this power, I can just grope or do this because I'm me, I'm Donald Trump. And that's you want really to make him president? Well, I, well, wow. I, I think the that highest is, office in the world. Well, I think that's the problem. That's it's, the problem. It's the mindset of powerful men that feel like they can do whatever they want because of their status. The statement was made is that because I'm a star, if you're a star, you can do anything. And I won't repeat what he said, but he, you can't do it. We are bound uh, as an advocacy group for justice to speak out on current issues that are going on in our country. And again, it has nothing to do with what party you're with, whether you're Democrat, Republican, Independent, uh, Salvation Army, whatever it is that you might be. These, this is, I'm telling you, it is controlling completely uh, and overtaking the airwaves right now. And it has to be discussed. You have to have the conversation. Because you're gonna to have to inform your children, you know. The, the, you know what do you? I guess one guy, one of the anchors on CNN said his son came to him and said, "What does so and so mean, Daddy?" I mean, what a difficult position to be in to have to address that issue with a little boy or a little girl that says, "What does that mean, Mommy?" I mean, this is serious. Oh, it's it's very serious. But I think I think we all need to wake up and understand. The old saying says, "Power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts absolutely." So if you feel like you're that, that empowered and you can just force yourself on people and you could do those things, if you feel like you have that kind of power, you're talking about the leader of the free world. You're talking about a man who, if he doesn't, or a woman who does not exercise wisdom and judgment in that position. I mean, that's the president of the United States. You're talking about the highest 
seat, not only in land, but like I said, you're the leader of the free world, so you've got a lot of power at your hand. Well, here's what's very, uh, what would I say, very upsetting. You know, if you want a, a fair playing field now, last week before the debate on Sunday night, Donald Trump makes this move. He brings four uh, ladies who had been involved with Bill Clinton 30 years ago uh, and says these ladies have a right to be heard. And all of, all the Trump surrogates were out there, well, this, they were abused and this, da 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 But then when Donald Trump is called on the carpet today, you know what they say? I absolutely believe Donald Trump and these women are it's just convenient that they're coming out right now. Well, you didn't have that statement last week about Bill Clinton when they were bringing you know, the double exactly. standard of what you're dealing with. Look, and, and I think Jake Tapper made it clear on CNN today. He said, look, Bill Clinton paid the piper. He was impeached by Congress. Now, he was acquitted, really, by the U.S. Senate, but he was impeached by the House of Representatives. It didn't stick. Now, last week, all of a sudden, now, oh, now we shouldn't be talking about this. Let's talk about the issues. Wait a minute. Your, your candidate, Donald Trump, brought this to the table. And he was so proud, sitting behind his little table, and he's got all these women on the side like, yeah, go ahead and speak. But, well, well, let's bring yours in. I mean, if you're going to play ball, play ball. Play ball, play, exactly. That's right. <laughs> I mean, exactly. it's, it's unbelievable to me. We could talk about that the entire night, but we're not going to do that. But it is our obligation to inform the people, American people, and our listeners that, hey, AJC Radio is connected to what's important in this country. And right now, that is a firestorm happening. Uh, never seen an election quite like this one. Uh, and there, everybody is saying that. But, hey, two weeks from now, two and a half, three weeks, we will know an answer of who the next president of the United States will be. And God bless America as we go forward, hopefully, to some good things. Uh, and, uh, Dennis, we were, we were talking again regarding uh, the congressman, um, Emmanuel Cleaver, sixth term in, the, in, in Congress. Folks, on the other side of the break, we're coming back. We're getting ready to shine the spotlight on Congressman Emmanuel Cleaver out of Missouri. This is AJC Radio coming live from Colorado Springs. Tonight, right now, 73 degrees, a little sunny out. L.A., 71 and sunny. Our nation's capital, 67 degrees and partly cloudy. And in New York City... 64 degrees and a little cloudy. And I'll guarantee you, humidity has left for a season. We'll be right back, folks, as AJC Radio kicks off Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday. We'll be right back. Do you have a big brother? Well, I have a big brother, and I'm pretty sure that you and I experience some of the same things with a big brother. Big brothers will always be big brothers, right? I'm sure you'll agree. Well, my brother gets up in the morning. He takes a shower, heads to work, and at some point during the day, he's going to exercise and get that workout, as we all do. And, of course, depending on what's going on, he's going to sit down for two or three meals during the course of his day. And also, depending on what else is going on, he'll probably get caught up on current events And maybe take a few moments to turn a page in a book. How about your big brother? Some of the same stuff, right? Oh, did I mention that my big brother does all of that stuff? But he actually has to have permission a lot of times before he can do it. You see, my big brother was wrongfully convicted of a crime that he did not commit. 
That's right. That may sound shocking, huh? He's in prison. Wrongful convictions impact families in ways you cannot begin to imagine. But I've decided that I'm going to do something about it. And I extend an invitation to you to come on board and join me in this fight. You see, I'm helping to be a voice for my big brother and others who have been wrongfully convicted. We'd like you to take a few moments today and call a just cause where we fight for justice. You can call us toll free at one 855 529-4252. That's one 529 Join with us as we fight for justice and for all big brothers across the land. You don't have to be a victim anymore. These fights are getting worse. I don't know what to do. With one call, you can end the cycle of violence. We're glad you called. The first thing we want to do is to ensure your safety. With one call, you can change everything. To speak to a domestic abuse victim advocate, contact your local family advocacy program. Ladies and gentlemen of America, we extend a special invitation to you to join AJC Radio and our programming every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Eastern. We will be addressing issues that definitely shape a nation and affect America's future. We will also be dealing with members of Congress shining the spotlight on our initiative called Spotlight on Capitol Hill. You don't want to miss it, folks. Every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time, AJC Radio makes a difference across the nation. We'll see you then. We have a big problem, and we need your help. It's happening on college campuses, at bars, at parties, even high schools. It's happening to our sisters and our daughters, our wives, and our friends. It's called sexual assault, and it has to stop. We have to stop it. So listen up. If she doesn't consent, or if she can't consent, it's rape, it's assault. It's a crime. It's wrong. If I saw it happening and I was taught you have to do something about it. If I saw it happening, I speak up. If I saw it happening, I'd never blame her. I'd help her. Because I don't want to be a part of the problem. I want to be a part of the solution. We need all of you to be part of the solution. This is about respect. It's about responsibility. It's up to all of us to put an end to sexual assault. And that starts with you. Because one is too many. Here are 50 white guys. Here are 50 black guys. Here's how many white guys can expect to go to prison in their lifetime. The chances amount to one out of 17. Now here's how many black guys can expect the same thing. The chances are one out of three. Why? Lots of reasons. It's complicated. But one thing is clear. There's racial bias at every level of the criminal justice system. When blacks and whites commit the same kind of crimes, blacks are more likely to be arrested. Once arrested, they're more likely to be convicted. Once convicted, they're more likely to serve longer sentences. Look at the numbers in America's so-called war on drugs. About 14% of American drug users are black, as are about a quarter of drug sellers. Yet blacks are 34% of the people arrested for drug crimes. And those convicted of drug crimes, 46% are black. 
By the time we factor in sentencing, there are actually more black drug offenders than white ones in state prisons and in federal prisons. In the end, the incarceration rate for drug crimes is 10 times higher for blacks than it is for whites. These are the facts. Racial disparity in America's war on drugs is one big reason that one out of three black men can expect to go to prison in their lifetime. Odds of becoming an astronaut, 1 in 13,200,000. Odds of being struck by lightning, 1 in 576,000. Odds of dating a supermodel, 1 in 88,000. Odds of bowling a perfect game, 1 in 11,500. Odds of being trapped in an elevator, 1 in 24,528. Odds of catching a ball at a major league game, 1 in 563. Odds of an injury from shaving, 1 in 6,585. Odds of tripping while texting, 1 in 10. Odds of getting cancer in your lifetime, 1 in 2 men, 1 in 3 women. It's up to us to change the odds for our generation. For the ones we love. For our future. If you don't like the odds, stand up. Stand up to cancer. And welcome back in, ladies and gentlemen of America. This is AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. Tonight, Spotlight on Capitol Hill. Very interesting, gentlemen, uh, doing a lot of things uh, on Capitol Hill. Congressman Emanuel Cleaver, uh, I had the opportunity to see him uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, with the CEO of Wells Fargo, asking the tough questions of what in the world is going on with Wells Fargo Bank and I'll tell you what, that entire committee uh, of the oversight committee, which he is on, began to, when I tell you, his first introduction to the, to the uh, CEO, and you'll hear it tonight on one of our clips, he said, I know you're not, you've, had a better, you've had better days than this one. And I'll tell you, somebody has to call out people for what they're doing and what their actions are. And uh, I tell you, Congressman uh, Cleaver uh, is no exception to that. He makes it very clear. He's very passionate uh, about calling those things that need to be called into accountability uh, that is definitely done. And uh, I'll tell you what, uh, an outstanding man has been, in, this is his sixth term uh, in Congress uh, and doing some stuff, uh, Dennis, that seems to be definitely impacting really a better tomorrow for Americans. Yes, he's doing a lot of great things, a lot of things in housing, also in the uh, financial uh, uh, area and also dealing with veterans. I tell you, I mean, He's doing some great things, and as we as we go throughout the show, I'm sure we're gonna uh, talk about a lot of different things. Especially uh, what I what I like is about uh, uh, what he's doing with the uh, veterans for housing. I mean, it's just awesome. He's got this program where uh, he's trying to make sure that it, it, at least in his district right now, and I'm sure others will follow that uh, there's no uh, veterans without. Uh, you know, housing. And I tell you, that's awesome. You, you can't beat that. William, and as we talk about the housing, as we talked the other day uh, in regards to the homelessness problems in America, uh, Congressman um, Cleaver is really seems to be addressing uh, that issue in a very, very serious way. Uh, definitely knowing the homelessness in Missouri down there 
uh, and I guess from your district, you can learn a lot. Of, and just think about the number of people that we talked about the other night that are homeless, that don't have really a way out. These members of Congress who are involved or engaged on this level as Congressman uh, Cleaver is, is a must when you're dealing with trying to implement this change. Well, you have to. I mean, you know, one thing you can you can respect about what he's doing, he understands that, you know, homeless is, is, this, is this huge epidemic. I mean, it's, it's something that can't be overlooked, and it's everywhere. So there is, this, you know, what leads to homelessness, you know, the economic problems that, that may have happened, uh, um, the savings and loan, you know, right. it's, you know, instances or things like that. So there needs to be things for economic stimulus. There needs to be things for banking regulations that help, help prevent homelessness. You know, the homeless, because we identified this on Tuesday's show. Not every homeless person is unemployed. Just because they're homeless doesn't mean they're unemployed. They just lost their home. So he's looking at the issues that lead to homelessness. And then once you get that, now you provide them with a home. Now you provide them with work, alternatives, you know, reliefs, grants, things like that. So it's a much bigger picture, and he understands all these pieces. No, absolutely. And, and again, that's just one part of it. Let's get to do a little bit of history on Congressman Cleaver. Uh, again, serving his sixth term representing Missouri's 5th fifth, fifth Congressional District, uh, the home of District of President, as I said earlier, Harry Truman. He's a member of the exclusive House Financial Services Committee the ranking member of the subcommittee of housing and insurance, again, also the senior whip of the Democratic caucus, uh, having served for 12 years on the city council of Missouri's largest municipality, Kansas City. Cleaver was elected, Congressman Cleaver, excuse me, was elected the city's first African-American mayor. That speaks volumes. Uh, as you hear Congressman Cleaver speak, he's very much into the movement of the civil rights movement. These are things that are very close to his heart. He talks about What's important in, in continuing the, the, the vision and the goal of Dr. Martin Luther King and all those that sacrificed coming up this way? I would think that particular time in our country was a very, very difficult time. I'm not old enough to say I was part of that movement. Uh, my mother and my father were. Uh, and I'll tell you, there's some things there. Uh, and I think it gives you that extra ump to fight on and never stop fighting. Uh, and Congressman uh, Cleaver seems, at least doing the research on him, seems to be really focused, uh, even on the voting rights. You know, the, the big uproar in the voting rights situation uh, that was actually going on. And I'll tell you what, uh, Cliff, when you see people like this that's getting involved, that are getting engaged, that are saying, look, the civil I think sometimes people forget the importance of the civil rights movement. There are people, I think we need people in Congress that have walked that road. Congressman Rangel being a part of that during his tenure, uh, there's just a passion there to say, look, we came up. It was difficult. It wasn't easy to have this type of person that has seen uh, all the things that they have seen during their tenure. I'll tell you what, it'll make a difference on Capitol Hill, Cliff. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you have to look at um, take into account the fact of how much these uh, individuals, especially those members of the Congressional Black Caucus, how much they actually gave, saw, went through and experienced during the uh, the initial civil rights movement for uh, blacks or African American, whatever you want to call it here in America. That these are the people who who saw from you know you, uh, you drink out of a separate fountain, you eat in another part of the restaurant, you sit on the back of the bus, uh, you can't even use the same bathroom as a white person. So. 
then when they see all of the other issues in in uh you know in America in in society like they look they see homelessness they see the healthcare issues and how it applies to you know the uh, the civil rights and liberties of all people so it really gives them an extra push to say you know I not only see it from the surface but deeper on how it affects a particular demographic and you know with uh, with Congressman Cleaver's uh, push for homeless for the you know, against Housing. homelessness yes. for veterans. You know, um, if you watch TV, you know, you watch the reality shows nowadays, you watch uh, the history of National Geographic, you see that, you know, people are into this tiny homes movement. And so he helped to push legislation for tiny homes for, for homeless veterans. Now, a lot of the homeless veterans, the majority of them are single uh, men. And a lot of them, I think uh, the the percentage is 39% of homeless of, of the those that are homeless veterans are basically black men and when they only make up 11 percent of the veteran community so he's looking at okay if if we can take these tiny homes and they they've shown to be viable they're shown to be feasible uh residences you know and you can really get a lot of a out of a small space and he's saying hey let's ensure that our veterans can get in on this that they can own a small home they can take that and say, okay, I can basically rebuild uh, who I am, what I'm about, my, my place in society. And eventually, you know, if they want to go to a bigger place, sell that home and work their way up the chain. But I think that's commendable that he's looking out for the, for the veterans. Uh, not just, and that, just, that does not just apply to African-American veterans, but all homeless veterans. Wow. That he's saying, hey, you have a chance to own a home right off the bat. You help build it and you own it in the end. That's, that's, that's awesome. And I, I have to go to uh, our veteran here, uh, Dennis. Uh, your thoughts on that, that it, the congressman goes to that extreme? It, it's awesome. And then not only that, not only allowing them, you know, to, you know, help and provide the home, but also after that uh, seeking to provide education. I mean, he, he's going all the way. And I tell you, it's just awesome to know that this, congressman is doing such a, you know doing something and he's doing it for our veterans also uh he's he's also a part of the uh stimulus act of uh, 2008 to provide uh a temporary increase to our military to our veterans wow. as far as education you know making sure that and loan guarantees so you know we do have the opportunity to get loans when we get out you know and that's that's because of our you know our veteran status but he's 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 trying to make sure that that loan guarantee is increased, so that way that veteran can go out and get that home that he's looking for and be able to afford. Well, look, I tell you what, there's a lot. It, it takes members of Congress, no matter who you are, if you occupy an office on that hill, that you are needed in that capacity. Exactly. And uh, I'll tell you what, and it, it's amazing if you go a little bit back into, uh, you know, they, they title him as Congressman, Mayor, and Minister. Uh, because of so many hats that the congressman has worn, uh, from civil rights activist to Methodist minister to his election as the first black mayor of Kansas City, Missouri, the Reverend Emmanuel Cleaver has changed his approach to social activism with the changing of times. The Texas native grew up in, how do, wow, Wax, uh, how do you pronounce that state? Uh, Waxachi, it, it sounds like it's a hard way to pronounce this town. It's a small town near Dallas. Uh, where he and his family lived in a house that had been used as a slave cabin only one generation before. From the beginning, religion played an important part in Congressman Cleaver's life. 
uh, Congressman Cleaver's great-grandfather and great-grandfather and grandfather were preachers, as were several of his uncles and cousins. However, Cleaver did not decide to become a minister until a knee injury prevented him from pursuing a professional football career. So the former Murray State College linebacker graduated from Prairie View A&M College in 1968 and completed his Master of Divinity degree at St. Paul's School of Theology in 1974. I'll tell you what, that's some serious pedigree there, Dennis. What's your thoughts on that? <laughs> it's awesome. I mean, he's truly educated. And uh, again, I, I, I can't say enough about his uh, concern about people. And about especially that, that uh, when you talk about housing, I'll tell you, I, I'm not trying to bear away, but it's so big. No, it's very and, big. And we just talked about that, how we got many people that are homeless uh, because, you know, they can't afford the housing. And, and his thing is to make affordable housing reachable to those that need it. And the only way you're going to do that is you're going to have to truly get involved. You're going to have to, as a, as a statesman, you're going to have to bring everybody to the table and say, hey, we got a problem and the only way we can fix it. We need to start lowering you know, well, the, the prices of our house. Absolutely. Hey, look, we got a lot of material. We're going to go a little bit more into the history, uh, the foundation where Congressman uh, Cleaver uh, came from, his pursuits, what pulled him to Kansas City. Uh, but first, let's hear a little bit from the congressman uh, talking about the importance of maintaining a fight and a faith to continue to believe. Let's hear what he had to say. Hello, I'm Emanuel Cleaver. I'm the representative of Missouri's 5th Congressional District. This February, I hope you'll join me in celebrating Black History Month by recognizing two landmarks in American history, the 150th anniversary of President Abraham Lincoln issuing the Emancipation Proclamation in 1863 and the 50th anniversary of the Civil Rights March on Washington in 1963. The Emancipation Proclamation reflected the principles of our founding fathers that all men are created equal and set the stage for a more perfect union. In 1963, freedom fighters marched on the Lincoln Memorial where Martin Luther King Jr. inspired a nation to rise up against discrimination and by delivering his I Have a Dream speech. And the march on Washington became the catalyst for the continued pursuit of equality for all. The following year, the Civil Rights Act of 1964 was passed by Congress to outlaw discrimination based on race, color, religion, sex, or national origin, and move our nation toward fulfilling the promise of the Emancipation Proclamation. These remain important, illustrious markers of our movement. And yet, I admit, I become frustrated when I hear someone refer to the Civil Rights Movement as a part of history. While we made tremendous progress, there's still more work that needs to be done. Why is it that we began with such enthusiasm and moved slowly into gradualism? An experience with my youngest son gave me insight into this. After we bought him his first car, I received a phone call asking me to come to a certain location because his car had stopped. So I quickly ran to the garage, grabbed my jumper cables, and rushed to his location. After tinkering with the battery, the starter, and carburetor, I discovered that after all that, he was simply out of gas. Maybe that is what has happened to us as a people. On our way toward the fulfillment of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s dream, we just ran out of gas. Maybe we're just tired of being proud, tired of being demanding and disciplinary parents, tired of voting in mass, 
tired of sticking together, tired of struggling to rid ourselves of the bigotry that has burrowed itself deep inside the American psyche. Losing battles here and there is natural, but those losses can delay, but not deter realizing Dr. King's dream. We must press on and keep pressing. Your help is needed. This is a call to arms. If you can't fly, walk. If you can't walk, crawl. If you can't crawl, then scoot. Well, there you have it. You couldn't say it any better than that. I tell you, that's a spirit of resiliency that he is portraying or pushing for America. William, when you hear that, I think we've got a correction on the city uh, in which we, I, we had an issue pronouncing it. How do you pronounce that, William? I think, I think it's Waxahachie. Waxahachie. Oh, Waxahachie. So you understand why the difficulty was there initially. But when you hear William Congressman Cleaver speak there, the foundation of his purpose, if you will, comes from rooted pain in this country, but overcoming that in the civil rights movement yes. seems very, very important to the congressman here. Yes, I, and, and you could definitely tell he, he grew up with it. He, he knew about it. It was shared with him from, you know, from generation to generation growing up in Texas. Um, so he understood that it had to continue. You know, the whole thing about a movement is it's a continuation. So he understood that once Martin Luther King passed away, all these things, a lot of things fell. You know, really, the movement kind of, I think it got stifled a little bit, you know, and that's my opinion. But it needed to be, it needed a champion. It needed to be picked up. It needed to be moved on. There were, there social injustice that he was dealing with. Sure. There was dealing with the racial inequalities. He's dealing with, and he he saw an opportunity through public service to be truly a servant and stand up and fight for those things, fight for the rights of others, be a voice, you know, in the House of Congress, and, and to, or excuse me, in Congress, to to basically fight. You know, that's there's other ways of fighting. I but mean, the, but added, that's a platform. That is a, a huge platform, and I mean, if you look. At just the significance of this man, one of the things that I, I saw that was amazing, uh, an amazing, at least I thought it was, they said that in, um, I believe it was correct, correct, in 1991 when he became mayor of Kansas City, he was one of only a few black mayors of a U.S. city that was predominantly white, had a predominantly white population. Oh, good. But at that time, only 26% of Kansas City voters were black. Two-thirds of the city, which is 435,000 inhabitants, were white. Regardless, Cleaver captured 95% of the black vote, 90% of the Hispanic vote, 90% of the Jewish vote, and 40% of the white vote. According wow. Now, that right there is an, amazing, is an amazing feat. When you look at that, when you look at those numbers, and he almost got half. 40% of the white vote. That speaks volumes. That speaks, I mean, just huge volumes of this man, what, he's try, what he was trying to do then in 91, his character, what he was trying to stand for, what he was trying to do as far as his, his, the city and moving things forward. Well, I think what it speaks to above anything else in the time of this nation where we are racially divided uh, in a way that we haven't been in a long time. But I'll tell you what, when you can, it tells you a lot of people have a preconceived notion of civil rights uh, activists, that if you're part of the civil rights movement, it's just for blacks. 
We just focus on, and that's absolutely, and when you say that, he was able, to gave Congressman Cleaver that extended hand, if you will, to reach the masses, was that his message was universal. Yes. You have to love, you have to care, you, you have to re- respect your fellow man. It says here at one time, uh, Congressman Cleaver's religious pursuits and civil rights activities went hand in hand. And I quote, he says, time was when if you were black and aspired to political office, you almost had to be a preacher and use your church as a base of support, Congressman Cleaver told the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. The combination of ministerial calling and civil rights pursuits pulled Congressman Cleaver away from Texas in 1968 when his mentor, the Reverend Ralph Apernassi, invited Congressman Cleaver to Kansas City to set up a chapter of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, the political and social group that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and Reverend Abernathy had founded. Congressman Clever, Cleaver excuse me, was apprehensive about going to Kansas City. He apparently feared that his civil rights efforts were not needed as much in the Midwestern city when racial tensions were boiling in larger cities such as Detroit and Los Angeles. However, Congressman Cleaver soon learned that racial unrest wasn't limited to the larger cities. Kansas City was the site of its own riots and demonstrations, and at the heart of the social turmoil was, excuse me, was Congressman Cleaver's cousin, Pete O'Neill, the founder of the Black Panthers local city chapter. I'm going to stop right there. Cliff, when you hear that, now you have, and people call the, the, the again, the, the, the Black Panther movement radical, uh, how much do we applaud Congressman Cleaver for with all of those? And that's a tough situation to be in the middle of that. Right. How do you do that? How do you do that? Well, the thing is, I mean, it shows how, I mean, he's juggling all these situations. He has these different, uh, not only different political parties, but different, uh, you know, ethnic backgrounds. I mean, he has, this is, when you talk about a melting pot, Right. He had that situation right there. It shows his resilience as right. a, as a leader, as a member of Congress, because all these people are looking at him saying, "Hey, we need you to do this for us. We need you uh, to do this one thing for the Black Panther Party. We need you to do another thing for the uh, you know for the Black Mayors of America. We need you to do another thing for the uh, the ministers of America." He's being pulled in all these directions. Right. But it shows his level of uh, of level headedness, of just I mean just just the wisdom to say okay this is the decision that I have to make that is best for the entire body of people that I'm serving. So I mean it, it just shows wow. his resilience not to break under pressure right. to say I'm going to do and that is when you see a person's uh, decision to do what's right, what is right in this situation, what is going to have the best effect to the to the uh to the biggest group of people and then how will i live with myself in the future once i make this decision and congressman cleaver i mean he did that and it shows that all the way from back then that that is how he has been carrying himself up to this day and his cousin make no mistake about it just in case you missed it congressman cleaver's cousin pete o'neill was the founder of the black panthers local city chapter so congressman cleaver found himself drawn into the role of activist, and in an interview with St. Louis Post-Dispatch, he discussed his early days in Kansas City and recalled some of his more blatant methods of protesting social injustice. 
including sleeping with the homeless on the lawns of upscale department stores. And he says, and I quote, I've learned about some other ways to make the same points he explained. This man, Congressman Cleaver, says, I'm going to lay on the lawn of these department stores with the homeless. Now, we talk about all the time getting down in the trenches. Dennis, when you hear that, that is absolutely something unheard of. But I tell you what, where he came from brought him to that point. Selflessness. Uh, that's what that is. That's, that's what it's all about. I mean, when you're willing to go out there and lay with the homeless on the ground to, 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 to prove a, a point, to make a statement, yeah. uh, to let others know that, hey, we, we could fix this. But if you don't want to fix it, I'll go out there with them and we'll figure it out ourselves. But again, that's that's commendable. I mean, that is truly commendable for someone uh, to say, you know what? I'm going out there with the homeless and I'm going to lay with them just to show you that I truly, truly care. And I'm what a- it does is it, yeah. it with, then when you have a politician that stands up and say, hey, you know, the people that I'm that I'm trying to get to vote for me, I feel your pain. Absolutely. You cannot say that if you say, okay, well, I'm living in a white castle. I've never had a hard day in my life. But for a man to go out and say, you know what, I'm going to go sleep on a lawn with homeless people. I mean, that, that you're outside. It's going to get cold somewhere during the night. Right. You're, you, you're open in the element. And you have put yourself in the position of, you know, with the people that you serve to say, I want to experience and understand exactly what it is you're going through. When that man stands up and say, I feel your pain, I know what you're going through, what, what, what can you answer? How, how are you not going to go to the poll and say, I'm voting for and him? Not vote for him. He slept outside with the homeless people. He feels the pain of every American that ever had hard times. But, but look, at where awesome. he, look at where he did it. It says, including sleeping with the homeless. On the lawns of upscale department stores. So you know. Now think about that. Yeah, he's getting I, some backlash. That's right. We we gonna make we gonna make some people move, and the way we do this, we're gonna go where they don't want us, that's and we're gonna lay out there, and then we're gonna make some people say, you know what? Uh, <laughs> finding homes for the homeless is not not a bad idea at all. No, absolutely. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I I, I think <laughs> one of the biggest things, I guess, just thinking about going back to the homeless thing. He, he has that experience, and he understands that if I'm a mayor in this city and I have homeless here, I've got to deal with this. I've got to deal with everything that's around it. And homeless, I mean, homeless, it doesn't care about color. I mean, you know, so, so he's out there dealing with the reality of this situation, and he's out there. It's just, it's just amazing to share. You know, he's willing to share in that experience. And say, you know what? I'm not going to be removed from it. I'm I'm not only going to hear what these people are saying, listen to that. I'm going to experience what they're doing, and then in this case, you know, I'm going to protest in such a way. I'm going to get here. I'm going to be out here sleeping with them and doing it. You know, so um, it's 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 really amazing. And here's what you got. You talking about knowing hard times, obstacles, conflict. It says one of the ways that Congressman Cleaver made these points known was when he was a first-year uh, uh, seminarian assigned to the tiny St. James Methodist Church in the heart of Kansas City in 1973. At the time, the 27-member congregation 
worshipped in a ramshackle building that was condemned soon after Congressman Cleaver's appointment. Under his leadership, the congregation outgrew three buildings and eventually became one of the largest churches in Kansas City with an active membership of almost 2,000. As his church grew, so did Congressman Cleaver's political involvement. Congressman Cleaver was elected to Kansas City's 5th District City Council in 1979, served three consecutive terms through 1991. He also served as chairman of the council's plans and zoning committee from 1984 to 1987, of its policy and rules committee from 87 to 91. During the same time frame, Congressman Cleaver was also mayor pro tem of Kansas City. You're talking about coming up and learning what it means to be persistent and to fight through adversity. Uh, Dennis, uh, what do you say to that? I say we got a fighter. I say we that's got a, we, we got a congressman that's uh, doing whatever doing whatever it takes to make sure he takes care of his constituents and also uh, put it out there that any other state can, can be proactive and positive as he is as long as our congressmen and women. I mean, go out there. I mean, be compassionate and really care about people. That's how you make it happen. If you don't care about people, uh, it's going to be a long road. But I think here with our, uh, Congressman Cleaver, I mean, we, we, we've got a person or, or a congressman that truly cares about people. No, absolutely. We're going to hear a little bit. The congressman was very much concerned, I believe, as all members were doing the violence uh, on the streets of America that we have seen over the last couple of years has been Phenomenal ever since. Of course, he's very, uh, really directly touched by Ferguson, uh, given how close it is. And I'll tell you, uh, he's out there with the citizens asking questions, making it very clear that something has to change. Let's hear what the congressman had to say about the need of violence had to be stopped. Congressman Emanuel Cleaver said enough is enough when it comes to the violence in Ferguson. He also criticized Ferguson's militarized police approach and says he now wants to get Defense Secretary Chuck Hagel now involved. Brenda Lee Gonzalez spoke with the congressman at a ribbon cutting this morning. One, two, three. Cut. This orange ribbon is merely a symbol. The color represents racial unity. The bows are meant to be seen by drivers heading from either side of the city. It's a message Congressman Emanuel Cleaver came to spread to people in his district. It's not the message he witnessed just a day ago in Ferguson. The violence and looting is, is uh, the act of, of dumb, uh, stupid people who are not contributing at all uh, to the rebuilding of the community. Weaver says things have calmed down there after the Missouri Highway Patrol took over enforcement. Yet the tension between Ferguson police and protesters continues. The Ferguson uh, police chief and to some degree the department uh, is monumentally uh, inept. He plans to meet with Defense Secretary Chuck Hagel next week to urge the end of militarizing local police with tanks like the ones seen rolling down Ferguson streets. Having military-style uh, weaponry moving down the main street of a middle American town is as Amer un-American as a coup d'etat rather than an election. 
He's quick to remember the message behind the protesters he spoke with. That is my son. It could have been uh, anybody's son. In hopes that here in Kansas City, the message behind the orange ribbon catches on. Brenda Lee Gonzalez, 41 Action News. Well, there you have it. Uh, Congressman Cleaver getting out in the trenches and making a difference. I'll tell you right now, ladies and gentlemen of America, make no mistake about it. We can talk about what our problems are. We can sit on the sofa at night and sit down with the family and say, well, that's just the way it is. But I'll tell you right now, that simply is unacceptable. Congressman Cleaver, Dennis, says, look, for the protesters that are violent, you're not helping us. Protesters that say we need change. He says, he says, I understand very clearly, that could have been my son. This comes, I believe, where Congressman Cleaver comes from. From the, from the hard times, the tough times, say, wait a minute. It's not as what it appears that these are just people out here marching and yelling about nothing. And I I believe, if I remember correctly, protesters are the voice of the unheard. That's what they are. For a congressman to say we have to find a solution. We don't accept status quo, that this is just the way it is. Then it's when you see that, his involvement, his push, we've seen just a a glimpse of who Congressman Cleaver is. But it seems to me to be a jewel. Oh, a, a, a rare jewel. I mean, it's just something else, uh, as, you, as you were talking about, uh, Lamont, uh, when it comes to owning up. I mean, we got we to gotta be real. I mean, again, uh, he, he didn't condone uh, those that were outside, you know, trying to, you know, bring in uh, problems, you know, trying to hurt people, you know. But he did not uh, dismiss the, the idea that protest is needed. And at that time, it was truly needed. And I tell you, somebody like this, a congressman like this, is this truly, that, that, like you said, he's from the background. He's been there, done that. He knows what's going on. And he sympathizes, he feels, but he's still strong enough to say, we have a problem. Let's address it. Let's face it. And how do we fix it? We fix it on both ends, not just those uh, protesters that step in that's about you know, causing problems. But also our police officers. Well, I mean, let's let's be real. Let's talk about both issues and why we are where we're at. That's the key. No, absolutely. We're going to talk a little bit about that. There was an issue uh, that the congressman actually took over, uh, at least uh, took up rather, uh, a battle. Police engaging in unconstitutional taxation by citation with traffic stops. Uh, we're going to deal with that on the other side of the break. His purpose to say, wait a minute, we'll address the wrongdoing of, the, of, of protesters if it's wrong. But we're not going to excuse police officers. We're going to hold them accountable and have them answer some tough questions. Ladies and gentlemen, this is AJC Radio coming live from Colorado Springs, Colorado. And I'll tell you what, Congressman Cleaver making a difference in our nation's capital. We'll be right back with Spotlight on Capitol Hill. Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, 
you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855-529-4252 or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A just cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. Messages about women and violence. I need a little clarification. Uncle Bill, how am I supposed to grow up to respect women when I have such lousy role models? Boys are never going to approach you. Can you help me reshape my attitudes towards women? You need to teach them that violence against women is wrong. Over a million people are sitting in the prisons of America for nonviolent offenses. That's why I'm asking you to join the American Civil Liberties Union and help us in the fight to end mass incarceration. We spend over $80 billion a year incarcerating people. Alternatives to prison, like community service, drug treatment, and rehabilitation, costs less and can turn lives around. It's time for fair justice. It's time for smart justice. And we need your help. So most people don't understand the importance of exercising and eating right. Most people think it's about getting super buff or eating grass to keep that perfect bod, but to those who believe that are wrong. Exercising regularly and getting the right balance of nutritious food leads to a common diagnosis known as healthy. Now, healthy may sound mainstream and boring, but it's real. It improves your immune system to prevent sickness, boosts self-confidence and controls body weight, gives you energy, and improves your overall happiness. So next time you think that's not bad, think again and be the best you you can be. How often does our justice system get it wrong, convicting innocent people of crimes they did not commit? A new project by the University of Michigan Law School and the Center for Wrongful Convictions at Northwestern University School of Law tries to answer that question. In the last 23 years, more than 2,000 people have been convicted of serious crimes and later exonerated, according to the National Registry of Exonerations. By far, the largest segment was almost 1,200 defendants falsely convicted because of large-scale patterns of police corruption, generally in drug and gun cases. Of the remaining 873 defendants exonerated, nearly half were wrongly convicted of murder, and of that group, 101 were sentenced to death. On average, it took more than 11 years for a conviction to be set aside. Why does the justice system get it wrong? In homicides, the biggest problem is perjury and false accusation, most often by supposed eyewitnesses. False convictions in adult rape cases are primarily based on mistakes by eyewitnesses, while false convictions in child sex abuse cases are often for fabricated crimes that never occurred. 2,000 exonerations may seem small in a nation with more than 2.3 million people behind bars, but there are far more false convictions than the report contains. 
evidence. Most false convictions are never formally challenged, and those convictions that are successfully overturned receive little or no attention from the media, according to the report's authors. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen of America. This is Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday. And, folks, I tell you what, the temperatures are rising, if you will, in the studio. Because for one reason, we have a reason to be optimistic, because we're talking about Congressman Emanuel Cleaver. And he's making an impact not only in Kansas City, Missouri, but also in our nation's capital and around the United States. And, uh, William, when you talk about Congressman Cleaver, you're left speechless. You have to pitch yourself, am I dreaming or what, that a congressman, to make a statement, got down in the trenches and got a little dirty, if you will, and slept on the lawns of upscale department stores to save the homeless matter. Yeah. Your thoughts on that one? Well, I mean, you know, we talked about it before the break, but really it, it is about somebody that is willing to walk in other people's shoes, open his eyes to see, and actually be a part of what people feel, you know, they'll understand their pain, they'll understand their struggle. It helps you, it would help you and help him fight the fight, you know, and so that's what I really respect about him. Uh, definitely, truly a champion, truly a fighter for, uh, you know, for the people not only in Kansas City, like you said, as mayor in, the, in that area, as a representative, but also across the country. Oh, absolutely. And Dennis, uh, talking a little bit about, I think we were referencing that we were going to go into uh, that he's holding uh, police departments, of course, accountable, uh, trying to get rid of the, military, uh, the militarism, if you will, of local law enforcement uh, departments, because it sends a message. If you have a tank rolling down the street of Ferguson, uh, you know what? You're a soldier. That means what in the world is coming? What's going on? And it will cause citizens to become very intimidated. Yes, in a that, system that the D- Department of Justice found to be racially biased anyway. How does that work? I tell you, it's, 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 it's way off the mark. Uh, when you think about it, you, you look back in the 60s, and uh, the same thing was going on. You know, you got the dogs uh, barking, you know, let the dogs loose. You got uh, armored vehicles uh, driving down the street, and, and you know, cops in uh, helmets and uh, police riot gear. I mean, it's just, it's out of control. I mean, when you set it up like that, and you already got a problem, but now you got people, uh, you know, you're trying to bring fear, and, and it's, we can't go back to martial law. That's not the solution. The solution is to address the problems, uh, uh, the, the, the concerns of the people, and then take action. I mean, to take action militarily is truly not the answer, Mark. Not the answer. It sends the wrong message, uh, and Congressman Cleaver seems to definitely be, uh, you know, tackling the tough issues. And that's what, that's what honestly, uh, is going to count. Uh, uh, in 2009, Congressman Cleaver, with a multitude of accomplishments, both locally and congressionally, introduced the most ambitious project of his political career with the creation of Green Impact Zone. 
This zone consisted consisting of 150, excuse me, 150 blocks of declining urban core has received approximately $125 million in American recovery and reinvestment funds. The green impact zone is aimed at making the high crime area uh, the environmentally greenest piece of urban geography in the world. This project includes rebuilding Truce Avenue, rehabbing bridges, curbs, and sidewalks, home weatherization, smart grid technology in hundreds of homes, and most importantly, hundreds of badly needed jobs for Green Zone residents. During the 112th Congress, Congressman Cleaver was unanimously elected the 20th chair of the Congressional Black Caucus. Cliff, what do you say to that? I mean, you're talking about setting up an area... This is action. This isn't about talk. This is about getting the job done. And that initiative in 2009 put him in the chair of the Congressional Black Caucus. Exactly. I mean, this is what uh, this is what the members of Congress need to do if they want to show they're impactful to their uh, constituents. Is that you see? It's one thing to say, okay, well, we got a park in the middle of Manhattan, and we're gonna, you know, we're gonna change the light bulbs in that part from incandescent lights to LED lights. Well, the people in Manhattan really don't need any additional service. They're living in, you know, upscale as it is. But when you go to some of the most poverty-stricken communities and you say, you know what, we are going to bring back commerce, we're going to bring back jobs, we're going to make the community, uh, you know, look like, look like something that every every uh every citizen every resident of that community can be proud of that is how you get to the heart of the people that is how you convince the people that you know you have their best interests at heart it's it's not about okay i'm going out and i'm doing something to get a vote this goes beyond just getting a vote congressman cleaver is, uh, has many times put his name on the line put his career on the line to make the right decision and that is what has continuously gotten him re-voted, uh, you know, re-elected to his position. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and when you talk about uh, going green, I mean, everybody always talking about, you know, green. You know, what does green mean? I mean, he actually went into a community, and, uh, you know, he, 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 he took green to a higher level. He took solar panels, put them on top of houses. I mean, this was truly about home ownership to those that truly couldn't afford it. And then making the houses green made them more affordable. So I tell you, this is something to really look at. I mean, if uh, other communities, if other mayors looked at this, I mean, this is truly saying that we could take green and, and make it work. We, don't, we could take it and we could take solar panels. We could do a lot of things, you know, to show people that it works. And now you got these people that didn't have homes Owning homes, and it, it said one of, his, one of his most ambitious, uh, courageous moves, and guess what? We got rewarded with the chair of the Congressional Black Caucus. That says a lot uh, about what he is doing. We're talking uh, prior to the break, uh, dealing with the riots in Ferguson, uh, holding police officers accountable. Look, we can't have a military-based uh, law enforcement uh, in dealing because the police are there to work with the community. Uh, he came out against police engaging in unconstitutional taxation by citation. Let's hear what the congressman had to say about that. 
the thing is, the, the protesters uh, despise this guy uh, who damaged what they consider to be a movement. And uh, so I, I, I think we, we don't know. I have all the information. I haven't spoken with the chief since Friday. But I think that uh, this is what everybody, people of goodwill wanted this guy captured right. and, put, and put on trial. And they were helping. Yes. Uh, the protesters peaceful protesters were helping in the investigation? Absolutely. So let's talk about uh, the Justice Department report and talking about policing used to actually shake down people to make revenue for the city. It's bad in Ferguson, but I've seen statewide statistics that show it's even worse throughout the entire state of Missouri. What are you doing to make sure that whether it's in Missouri or across the country, this sort of shakedown operation by police stops? Well, um, We've introduced a bill, uh, and we're trying to get make sure we get bipartisan support for it. I don't think there's any reason we won't. Uh, Rand Paul has already reached out, uh, expressing interest in introducing it in the Senate. It's a bill that would prevent uh, municipalities from uh, generating more than 35% of their uh, budget from uh, traffic tickets because that amounts to right. uh, taxation by citation. Right. And I, I'm, I mean, there are probably lawyers around the table, uh, right. other than you, but. Uh, but I, I think it's even unconstitutional. And, and you know, if you, I grew up in Texas. When, when I was a kid, uh, when my father would drive the family through a place called Saginaw, mm -hmm. my mother would say, all right, you know, we're in Saginaw. You better slow down. I mean, these, these towns exist all around the country. Well, there you have it. Uh, it's refreshing William to see Congressman Cleaver deal with wrong on both sides of the aisle. Absolutely. That is very important. In politics, you people tend to think they're going to lean one particular way, right or wrong. We've seen a little bit of that uh, in this year's election, but when you hear Congressman Cleaver break that down, which they're talking about the protester, I guess one of the uh, uh, one of the protesters actually did something violent, and he was addressing that, uh, that uh, they needed to be held accountable. Those things needed to be done. But then he turned right around and addressed what, what are the police doing to increase revenue uh, and ultimately violating the rights of citizens. Uh, Cliff, what is that? Well, it, to, to be a, a, an effective leader, a person has to stand for what's right. You can't be on one side of the aisle or the other. You can't be on one side of the issue or the other. It has to be, you have to be on the side of right for the people to really take you seriously and say, okay, this is a person that stands for us, that, that, that will actually respect you. So he said, okay, well, if we have a protester that becomes a looter, that becomes a criminal and does some criminal act, sure, we need to hold that person responsible for what they did breaking the law. That, that goes beyond protest, and those things should not be tolerated. But then he comes right back and says, but the police of the culture of the, the town, the city, uh, the county, is that you, you tax the people by citation, which, which is, is totally against every credence of the, uh, of, the, of the Constitution. You can't just cite people for it. That's like going out and say, okay, well, you see a person walk on the grass at a, at a public park, you give them a citation. So you say, well, we're not really increasing taxes. We're, we're uh, taxing the people that we want, which becomes discrimination, uh, which uh, can lead to, to basically racial bias. And that is what he was attacking here, that 
the police officers, you know, I mean, it's like a Dukes of Hazard thing. You set up a, a uh, what are they called, you know, basically uh, where you, you put a stop sign in the middle of the street and nobody can see it. It's behind a tree. And then when you want when you want to wow. say, hey, you ran the stop sign, you move the branches out of the way. So, well, now i got to cite you. The speed trap is, a, is the same type of thing. You cannot do that and say this is how we get our revenue as a city. And, and Congressman uh, Cleaver says we're not going to tolerate that here in my city, in my district. It's not going to happen. The same way I'm not going to tolerate a person committing crime and calling themselves a protester and giving a bad name to everyone who has the right to peacefully protest. I'm not going to tolerate a police officer or a group of officers or a police department that makes a bad name for all of law enforcement. Yep. That is, uh, you know, just is right there fair, and it makes the citizens, it makes his constituents look at him and say, this is a fair person, and I can go to him with any type of issue because he's going to do what's right, not just what is on his side of the aisle. Well, absolutely, and I'll tell you, this is something, we talk about the the passion that Congressman Cleaver has, but he won't hesitate to tell you about yourself. Uh, April 2014... Uh, Congressman Cleaver condemned Republican Congressman Paul Ryan for having recently cited research by Bell Curve author Charles Murray uh, in his lamentation about the, the, this tailspin of culture in our inner cities, in particular of men not working and just generations of men not even thinking about working or learning the value and the culture of work. Congressman Cleaver took that as an attack on the African-American community by someone who knows absolutely nothing about it. Congressman Cleaver grossly mischaracterized Murray as a purrier of racist sewage and white supremacy who believes that a lot of poor people are born lazy. Moreover, Congressman Cleaver derided Ryan as someone who doesn't know anything about people, African-American men or Latino men in the inner city. Uh, There comes a time in politics William, where you have to speak up. And what I like about Congressman Cleaver, that probably wasn't a popular position to do uh, with the Speaker of the House. Of course, at that time, he was, he was he had not yet been Speaker of the House, but a very high, powerful Republican. Uh, he didn't hesitate. No, no. And he did exactly what's right. He said, you can't, you can't share those views without knowing. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's stereotyping. I mean, we always talk about it, profiling, stereotyping. You can't do that, and especially not in, in Congress. You just can't heat people in because of their color or whatever, you know, and, and stereotype and try to portray these people a, as being this way. They are born this way. They're just lazy. That's not right, and, and he dealt with it. You know, even, even one of the things, just to kind of circle back to the, to, uh, the police uh, and what he was dealing with, one of the things that he said, he was dealing with the crying out of the injustice of the people. And he said, we, their elected officials, must not abdicate our responsibilities to act. He said, political dysfunction should no longer delay policing reform. He's taking it to another level. So just drop off policing reform and say, I cannot abdicate my responsibility to listen to the people. Who are out here complaining and and want their voice to be heard and need somebody to champion their cause on the platform in which I've been elected to represent? Well, that, well, that's what it boils down to. It's about you. You, you know, you took an oath. That's right. 
when you took that oath, it was to uphold the Constitution and to protect all Americans. And a lot of times people act like that's something that, well, you take your oath seriously. And you take where you come from, your heritage, your culture, and say, look, we have a problem in, in the inner cities of this country. But let me tell you something right now. Those issues are not strictly black and white. That, that, and I, no pun intended. They are issues that are complicated. They are issues in the, with the poverty in these neighborhoods, the lack of resources in these neighborhoods, the lack of uh, any type of legislation that can help uplift and to change circumstances and surrounding, lack of education for a lot of these inner cities, lack, lack of opportunity. That's right. Because of their ethnic background, whether it's African-American, whether it's Latino, and the stereotype that's put around, well, like he said, people think, oh, black people don't really want to work anyway. You have no right to say that till you walk in our shoes. That's right. That's and right. Like somebody made a point. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, well, today I think I plan on being homeless by noon. Let's go ahead and get that, get that started. mapped out. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Nobody wants to be homeless. Nobody wants to be on the street. Nobody wants to not have enough food in their house. Nobody wants to have their utilities shut off. This problem is so, is so greater and so much bigger than what meets the eye. And I think what is, is really commendable uh, of Congressman Cleaver is that he understands and he made it clear by example in the neighborhoods, with, you know, in, in Kansas City, that this is for whites. This is for everybody. He proved that as on the statistics, I believe, that Cliff was sharing with us earlier. Uh, or the percentages of black and the white of, of who elected him. I think that was you, William. Uh, but these are things, and the, the white community elected this man. Well, see, that, that's the thing. That's the thing. When you deal with the real issue, the issues don't have racial boundaries. When inner cities, when those cities start to decay and decline, like has happened in Detroit, which was significant with the car industry going under, you're talking – Thousands, if not millions of people out of jobs are searching. You're t- this is happening in the inner city in one of the greater cities, well-known cities, well-loved cities in our country, Detroit, Motown, and so much rich history there. So you can't just say, well, all the black people there just don't want to work today. No. They're going through strife. They're going through struggle. Their jobs have moved out. The, you know, and so they're sitting there saying, what are we doing? Well, make it clear, this is not all African-American communities. There are African-Americans that are doing very well. That's right. Uh, there are African-Americans that are, are, are in, in innovative careers, whether it's IT, whatever, technology, uh, politics, uh, healthcare, healthcare you know, whatever, doctors, lawyers, you name it. Uh, the African-American community has come up in that grade. We're saying, and I believe what Congressman Cleaver focused on, let us not forget of those that are still trying to make their way up. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's a percentage, uh, and they have some examples to look to. I believe Congressman Cleaver seems to be one of those examples that came from situations. Uh, and he's very – I believe it's very important that African Americans and people as a whole know the culture. Uh, this is why we have Black History Month in this country, for people to recognize. We've come up some struggles. We've come through some tough times. But – that needs to be recognized, that we have achieved some things in society as well, but we have not gotten there or arrived, in, in, in part in the English, we have not nearly arrived to the point that we need to be in this country. We're seeing that today in 2016, that we got quite a way to go. Let's hear what the Congress have to say in the importance of honoring and remembering Black History Month. I'm Emmanuel Cleaver, 
representative of Missouri's 5th Congressional District. This February, I hope you'll join me in celebrating Black History Month by recognizing a defining moment in American history, the 50th anniversary of the enactment of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. This momentous legislation outlawed discrimination based on race, color, religion, sex, or national origin, including barring discrimination in all facilities open to the public, thereby ending what we called at the time Jim Crow. The Civil Rights Act finally provided African Americans and other minority groups the dignities and protections we were owed, but had so often been denied. Until I was eight years old, my family lived in a house that had no indoor running water, no plumbing, of course, and no uh, heat. Uh, My father worked three jobs to get us out of public housing and into our first home, where my father still resides to this day. There were four children in our family. All four graduated from high school and college, and two of us earned advanced degrees. We didn't need a handout. My father worked hard. We needed a hand up so we could gain our own foothold. The Civil Rights Act of 1964 helped change the world we lived in. In my hometown in Texas, if you were Latino or African-American, you could not even go to a movie theater. You could not even try on clothing in a downtown department store. All of that changed in 1964. And while the act moved our country on the path toward a more perfect union, ladies and gentlemen, there is still much more work that needs to be done. The Bible tells us that no one can put his or her hands to the plow and look back. We appreciate the past while looking to our shared future. We all stand on the shoulders of the giants, like my father in the ministry, the Reverend Ralph David Abernathy, the Reverend C.T. Vivian, Whitney Young of the Urban League, Reverend Fred Shuttlesworth, who coined the name of Birmingham, Bummingham, after all of the bombs that went off that killed many people, including three little girls in a church. Then there's Baird Rustin, the inimitable Rosa Parks, and of course, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Congresswoman and presidential candidate Shirley Chisholm was also a great factor in our movement. And of course, my friend, Congressman John Lewis of Atlanta, Georgia. We must defend the defenseless, speak up for those who are silent, and stand steadfast for the causes of justice and peace. And I pledge to work with my colleagues here in Congress and the NAACP of Kansas City, the Black and Brown Coalition, the BBC of Kansas City, the Urban League of Kansas City, and many other organizations to address the issues of significance that impact the African-American community. And there you have it. Uh, I mean, speaking to the importance uh, of Black History Month, we lost lives there. A lot of things, a lot of suffering. Slavery, uh, as he he alluded alluded to, all of these struggles, the civil rights movement, uh, the things that we have come to to this day, I'll tell you what, Congressman Cleaver, I believe, is getting it right. And there's a lot of people these days that shy away from that. Well, we don't want to bring up Black History Month. People are going to think we're just, you know, about blacks. The African-American voice needs to be heard. 
the minority votes in this, the, excuse me, not the minority votes, but that's true too. But the minority voices must be heard and cannot be forgotten. And if you let society do it, they'll push you right out and let you not, you know, you feel like, well, whatever, it's, it's this. Congressman Cleaver, sixth six term in the Congress, has caught on to something. And I believe that is his passion, his heart, and his own conviction to say, this is what I'm here to do, Dennis. Your thoughts on that? And it's awesome. Uh, his, uh, his response to uh, stereotyping, and, and, and you know, that, that that's there's no place for that. Uh, stereotyping is just as bad as uh, racism. Uh, we take a group of people and we classify them by an individual's, uh, you know, comment or actions. And I tell you, this congressman right here, he's he's just really about making sure. Let's take care of the people. Right. If we take care of the people, and when I say the people, whether they're black, white, rich, or poor, that's 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 who we want as our representatives, as our servants, which congressmen and women should be. But I tell you, I truly, th- I truly think that uh, if, if other congressmen and women would look at Congressman Cleaver. And say, you know what? I'm gonna model. I'm gonna use him as a model and, and go into a, go into the cities and and across this country and say, okay, let's do the right thing. Let's well, make and, it happen for and the and people. And no pun intended. Do the right thing. A Spike Lee joint uh, movie. Not alluding to that, but uh, it definitely doing the right thing. And I'll tell you what, something that happened uh, in Congressman Cleaver's district. Uh, this is what this is how connected he is with the people. U.S. Congressman Emanuel Cleaver was in Higginsville Friday, January 22nd, to meet with constituents at his Higginsville district office. The meet and greet was an opportunity for Congressman Cleaver to discuss work he's conducting in Washington, D.C. Uh, that says a lot. He took the time to meet with those constituents at his district office. And I quote Congressman uh, Cleaver, he says, we did something last year as we ended the year that I didn't think we would do, says Congressman Cleaver about Congress end of the year accomplishments. We passed some tax extenders and a $1.6 trillion spending bill. Usually the chaos is so great you can't get anything through. And he says, I give previous speaker John uh, Biner the credit for getting things done with the president at the end of his term. In the tax extenders, he added there's credit but depreciation on farm equipment. Any legislative work is conducted through compromise, he said. With the spending bill and tax extender passage, the federal government is now funded through the next inauguration. I mean, you know what I mean? You, how do you get a progress report from your member at, a, at his district office in January? In January to say, look, this is what we're doing. With, this is what your vote means. And this is what we $1.6 trillion? That, that's unheard of at the end of a session. They usually call it a lame duck session. How huge is that, William? I guess, you know, he's not asleep. You know, he understands that, you know, the issues are not going to take a recess just because, you know, Congress is adjourned. Or, you know, like you said, there's a lame duck session. These issues are still here. Awesome. You know, the homeless are still without shelter, and and there's needs that that have to be addressed. He's he's not putting putting it down. He's saying I'm I'm here and I'm working. Well, there you go, folks. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take a break. Uh, stretch your legs. Enjoy the 
fall evening tonight, wherever you might be. It looks like the weather is cooperating still as we approach the midway range of October. And I'll tell you what, things will be changing. But enjoy the evening tonight. Maybe sit on the porch with the wife. Uh, the kids probably have to get ready to get settled in. On the East Coast, the school kicks off tomorrow morning. But we're coming right back here on AJC Radio. Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday. I'll tell you what, Congressman Cleaver making a difference. We'll be right back. We have a big problem, and we need your help. It's happening on college campuses, at bars, at parties, even in high schools. It's happening to our sisters and our daughters. Our wives and our friends. It's called sexual assault, and it has to stop. We have to stop it. So listen up. If she doesn't consent, or if she can't consent, it's rape, it's assault. It's a crime. It's wrong. If I saw it happening, I was taught you have to do something about it. If I saw it happening, I speak up. If I saw it happening, I'd never blame her. I'd help her. Because I don't want to be a part of the problem. I want to be a part of the solution. We need all of you to be part of the solution. This is about respect. It's about responsibility. It's up to all of us to put an end to sexual assault. And that starts with you. Because one is too many. The United States of America incarcerates more people than any other country in the world. In fact, the U.S. hosts more prison inmates than all other developed nations combined. As of 2010, the world population was over 6.8 billion people, with an estimated 9.8 million in jail. This figure, compiled by the International Center for Prison Studies, refers both to individuals held in jail awaiting trial and inmates serving time after sentencing. So there are 9.8 million human beings on planet Earth living inside of cages that we know of. In 2010, the U.S. was home to about 309 million people, 4.5% of the world's total population, but housed 23% of the world's prisoners. So take a moment to think about what this means. It means we imprison more people than enormous autocratic countries like China. We imprison more people than Russia. Compared to the size of our population, our rate of imprisonment dwarfs our closest allies, like the United Kingdom, France, and Canada. As of 2010, there were over 1.6 million post-trial inmates serving sentences in America's state and federal facilities. This number does not include those being detained pre-trial or those on probation. The most unique feature of incarceration in America is the large and active role of our federal government. In most countries, crime is reacted to at the local or regional level, whereas the American government finances and legislates a significant portion of law enforcement at the national level. State governments still do their fair share of incarceration, though. California and Texas incarcerate more than other states with over 171,000 inmates each. Florida is a close third with over 103,000 prisoners. But no single state locks up more people than the federal government with over 208,000 inmates. Perhaps the nickname Land of the Free, Home of the Brave, should be updated. Though I suppose you need to be brave to endure the highest likelihood of incarceration the world has ever known. Prisons are not what we think about when we think of America, and they shouldn't have to be. A free nation shouldn't imprison so many people, and a fiscally responsible nation can't afford to. With close to $40 billion a year in state correctional spending, the financial costs are obvious and staggering alone. But the human costs 
are often underappreciated. 1.6 million fathers and mothers, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of American families are incarcerated. It's time for people to realize that the criminal justice system in America is desperately in need of reform. And welcome back in, ladies and gentlemen of America. This is AJC Radio, Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday, and this has been a humdinger as we have really just scratched the surface. Uh, Congressman Emanuel Cleaver uh, doing a lot of things, and he'll be remembered on this program for the congressman that got in the trenches with the homeless to send a message. And, uh, Dennis, I'll tell you what, that's going to stick with me. Your thoughts on that and all that we have tried to bring to the light tonight i believe we've been successful in doing that oh labat that's gonna stick with me too i mean to actually go out and uh, lay on the lawns of, of these uh these, these high-end stores uh to make a to make a point and a good point at that and, and then uh, you know all the things that he's doing you know as far as uh for housing and for for our veterans i'll tell you i truly have a heart for our veterans but i have a heart for all people but just awesome. I mean, truly commendable and uh, doing great things, and I'm sure he'll continue to do it, uh, continue to make it happen, and, and to be that example to all the members of our Congress to let them know, hey, we, we can make it happen if we all come together. Well, he's been known to be the one that can cross the aisle uh, and get things done. Exactly. Uh, he's voted 97.4% uh, with the Democratic Party. He is the Democrat, but he has made it clear that he is willing to cross the aisle uh, and get things done, yes. that I'm willing to do that. And again, if we go back to the foundation laid in Congressman Cleaver's life, is very clear. Uh, his grandfather, his great-grandfather being ministers and pastors, uh, there's a foundation laid with that that you, you can't buy with money. Uh, it's simply instilled in you. Uh, and I believe when you come from whatever background you come from, make it count. Uh, it's going to carry you really uh, the rest of your life. And one thing I respect about Congressman Cleaver is that he has a great deal of respect for women, which is a hot topic in this year's election. Uh, Let's hear what he had to say. There's actually uh, honoring Women's History Month. It's a month of honoring women and what they have attained, what they are doing, and what they are doing to contribute to this nation. Let's hear what he had to say. Hello, this is Emmanuel Cleaver, your congressman from the 5th District of Missouri. I want to share a message with you in honor of Women's History Month. This month, please join me in celebrating Women's History Month by paying tribute to the generations of women whose perseverance and leadership have guided our great nation. 101 years ago, women from all over the United States joined together right here in Washington, D.C. to march along Pennsylvania Avenue asking Congress for the right to vote. This march marked the peak of what we know today as the women's suffrage movement. Since that day in Washington, women continue to fight and work hard in every aspect of our American life. There are now more women in industries like healthcare, STEM, and education than ever before. Though women today are still fighting to break barriers across the country, much more needs to be done. 
Right now, millions of women are still struggling for paycheck equality and economic security. For example, women in the workforce still, in 2014, earn only 77 cents for every dollar earned by men. Another important issue to our working women and families is the raising of the minimum wage. More than half of minimum wage earners are women. In Missouri, more than two-thirds of minimum wage workers are women. Yet, my colleagues across the aisle refuse to join me and my colleagues on the Democratic side in supporting an increase of the minimum wage to $10.10 an hour. While barriers like these still stand in our mothers, sisters, and daughters' way, I have no doubt that women will continue to progress and they will achieve their goals. And rest assured, I will continue to fight to protect the gains women have made while pushing for equality for all women. Because as we've seen throughout American history, when women succeed, America succeeds. This Women's History Month, I encourage you to join me in learning more about the role women have made in shaping the United States of America. Women's History Month gives us a chance to appreciate the courage and contribution of women to our great country and our heritage. But it also gives us a chance to appreciate the courage and contribution of women in our own lives. Many women in my life have inspired me and shaped the person I've become. Without them, I don't know where I would be. From my grandma Annie Mae, who was both the sweetest and toughest person in the world, to my aunt Edna, who was smart, well-read, and so very wise, to my beloved mother Marie, who taught me so much, to my three sisters, and of course my wife Diane, my daughter Marissa, and my two lovely granddaughters. The women in my own history have inspired and made an impact on me. For that, I thank them and wish them and you a happy Women's History Month. Thank you. Well, I'll tell you what tonight, ladies and gentlemen, as we reflect really on a, I'd say a legend on Capitol Hill, a man that has taken steps to truly impact not only Kansas City, Missouri, but a nation. Who is that? Congressman Emanuel Cleaver. Born October 26, 1944, he set out on a journey to make a difference. And I'll tell you what, Kansas City, Missouri got it right. And as we look at the challenges that face this nation, one of the most important elections of our time, and that is Senate races, Congressional Congress uh, races, and of course the presidency of the United States. I'll tell you what, we have a motto in which to follow, and that is the people of Kansas City, Missouri, the district in which Congressman Emanuel Cleaver represents, has done some things that really, honestly, has left this studio in awe. And the bar rises just a little bit higher tonight as we have seen a champion of the people and of a nation. Tonight, Congressman Cleaver, we salute you for your work, your public service, to not only impact today, but all of our tomorrows, and for our children and our children's children to set the example of what patriotism, patriotism is about. We salute you tonight. Right now, we turn to what you didn't know about the RP6. 
of just calls has found something very interesting. A playwright by Judge H. Lee Serrigan about the RMP6. It starts right now. Take a look. My name is David Banks, and I'm serving an 11-year sentence at the Federal Correctional Complex Prison Camp in Florence, Colorado. I've lost everything. My business, my money, my family, my future, my church, and my freedom. My name is Gary Walker, and I'm serving a sentence of 11 years in the same prison. Just to decide, not only were the six of us all devout members of the same church, there was not a single criminal charge or conviction among any of us for these unbelievable events unfolded. My name is Clinton Stewart, and I'm serving a sentence of 10 years at the same prison in Colorado. It's fitting that we live, prayed, and worked together that we should end up dying together, because that is what prison is for us and our families. I am Kendrick Barnes, and I am serving a seven-year sentence at the same prison in Colorado. I was the chief information officer at IRP Solutions, the name of our company. I testified. And then Gary objected. A Donnybrook broke out because Gary said our Fifth Amendment rights had been violated by compelling us to testify. The judge said she had not said anything of the kind, and we demanded the transcript. We were all absolutely unanimous in our verbatim version of what she had said. She denied production of the transcript for that day and at the time, some 200 pages, but assured us that they would be produced at the end of the day. Transcript of that particular conversation in the courtroom between us and the judge has never been produced. I am Demetrius Harper, and I'm serving a 10-year sentence at the same prison. And then in June of 2009, four years later, they finally got a grand jury to indict us. This time, they only called one witness an FBI agent. And the old adage that a prosecutor can indict a ham sandwich was proven. This is a production that sets the bar and takes a sincere look at the RP6 story. Judge H. Lee Serkin, retired federal judge, felt compelled to say something. We will not remain silent to see the full story, the full playwright of the RP6 tragedy Go to YouTube, search the race card. You don't want to miss it. Some people think that business is a game. And what we have learned is that business actually is war. When they wanted people to sign non-disclosure agreements and all that kind of stuff, sometimes they didn't want to do it. Strange. I think it's still strange. It just absolutely makes no sense. Is this really real? Is this happening? Mm. And then all of a sudden, the whole life is ripped apart. What we have learned is that the RP6 story was supposed to be the American dream 
is an American nightmare. They were floored that uh, they were even being raided. Um, it became very clear that the court-appointed attorneys were not working for the guys. Um, and it seemed like in many cases that they were um, collaborating or working with the prosecution. We constantly hear in the news, every week you're going to hear about another person wrongfully convicted. And this is a unique case in the sense that you have six men, six businessmen that have been wrongfully convicted. You would think the media would jump all over it. Justice is not fair anymore. They say justice is supposed to be blind. It's not blind. It's not blind. They pick and choose who they want to convict and who they want to send to. Is this happening in America? The American dream of the RP6 has turned into a nightmare. Crying children left behind as a result of a corrupt system and corruption. We will seek and search for justice. We will ask the tough questions. We will demand answers as justice lays idle in the streets of America. We look for the answer. Ladies and gentlemen, go out to change.org. Sign the petition now. America's future depends on it. What you didn't know about the IRP-6 starts right now, folks. I'll tell you right now, we will be talking about this here for the next couple of weeks to set the record straight. Who are the IRP-6? They are Dave Zapolo, Demetrius Harper, David Banks, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, and Gary Walker. And there's been some type of, I would believe, slander uh, against the IRP-6, as well as Pastor Rose Banks and... Uh, Lawana Clark, daughter of Pastor Rose Banks, by a former employee, or not employee, excuse me, volunteer with this organization by the name of Sam Thurman uh, a few days ago, a.k.a. Sean Johnson on Google. And uh, last we checked, he has disappeared off of the Google line. But we will continue to address the falsehoods that have been put out there for any reason you may have read them. Sam Thurman, as we said the other night, has apparently inherited the Donald Trump syndrome of getting his foot in his mouth. This is no different. And we're going to play his words, his own words, arrest him tonight. Whereas that he said very disparaging things uh, against the IRP-6, uh, really, in, really against Pastor Banks. As we've talked on this program, Colorado Springs Fellowship Church was a target, uh, along with the IRP-6, and suffered injustice as well collectively as the IRP-6 did, and that's why the Colorado Springs Fellowship Church and Pastor Banks have been brought up on this program as a result of the injustice by the Internal Revenue Service going into records uh, when they should not have done, and uh, that's being, again, looked into. But this is why, just so our listeners know why we exactly are going into that topic. And I'll tell you, we're going to play a clip now uh, where Sam Thurman, again, if you knew him as AKA Sean Johnson, uh, said some negative things, said the RP6 were uh, apparently guilty. Uh, his own words go against them. Let's play the clip. It was, it was a witch hunt. I mean, they, they were dead set on, on, uh, on a conviction against Ms. Ms. Clark. 
dead set on sending her uh, to prison. And, and you know, Ms. Clark, we've also heard that, uh, that they tried to use you as a pawn against the IRP-6. Yes. yes, they did. I knew it. Talk about um, my church and, and my pastor. Um, and I think Pastor Rose Banks actually made the point very clear mm-hmm. when she was on the air uh, on, the, on the two previous programs that they were trying to somehow, for whatever reason, make some connection from a money laundering perspective right. between the church and IRP solutions. Now, when you look at the legal definition of what money laundering is, it's like ill-gotten gain, so to speak, and illegally uh, money that's gained illegally placed into a launderer's hands. Secondly, the launderer passes the money through a complex scheme of transactions to obscure the, in where, the, where the money actually started. And then third, the scheme returns the money to the launderer in an obscure, obscure and indirect way. And the thing is, no money went through anybody's hands in any of these transactions. Absolutely. The staffing agencies paid their own employees. Right. And, and so when you look at that, a church that has an excellent record, and Lamont, you've, you've shared this previously, a church that has an excellent record, a pastor who has an excellent record for community involvement, reaching out, helping the needy, helping the poor, yeah. preaching the gospel, and, and, and that type of thing. And, and when you go and you try and use something that is meant for, uh, Ill, uh, for, for terrorists and point it to the church, you got to be kidding. So how can the government go forward with something that was based off of lies? And you can't do that. Yet they did it, and Judge Arguello allowed them to get away with it. Uh, before the break, we talked about how the IRP-6 were wrongfully convicted and have now been in federal prison for nearly three years. And a just cause continues to fight for uh, these men because of the fact that they did nothing wrong. Well, there you have it. Cliff, I'll tell you what. He can say nothing. His own words. And he is adamant about Pastor Banks, LaWanna Clark, the IRP-6. He said the IRP-6 did no wrong. He talked about Pastor Banks giving, reaching out to the community, preaching the gospel. Yet his own words fall to the ground on the lies that he has told. Exactly. I mean... You really, you don't need to say anything because he's saying it all for us. Like, okay, so how do you try to come out and refute what you said on the record? And not just on the record, like you read it, passionately dealing with the issue. How do you then come out and try to write that what you were saying then was a lie? So when were you lying? Obviously, it's now. Dennis, when you hear that, and again, a former uh, volunteer of this organization uh, we have an obligation to call out injustice, untruth. We're going to call you on the carpet. And rightfully so. I mean, this is sad. This is uh, it's almost unbelievable uh, when you hear the contrast between uh, what he's saying now and what he said back then. I mean, it just does not make any sense. But it, it shows you, you know, how, how people can be. You know what I'm saying? If it's going their way, if, if they're, they're happy with, you know, with, with what's going, how things are going their way, they're all for you. Uh, but when you find out that they're a fraud, when you find out that 
this guy truly, truly, I'm telling you, he's got some major issues, but one of them is, is that he don't know who he is, period. Here you got one man saying, you got him saying it, I mean, accolades to the max. He, he's truly speaking the, the truth at this right. time. And now to come back and try to, you know, cover, cover all that he said with a lie, it's impossible. Well, it can't look, be done. Look, we live in a world now that your words will come back to haunt exactly. you. Uh, and uh, we're not going to mention any names on that, but I'll tell you what. Uh, it's very clear. Be careful what you say. Your own words will be held against you. And in this case, I'm grateful that the truth stands. Exactly. And at the end of the day, injustice doesn't change. If it, if it was injustice yesterday, it's injustice tomorrow. It's injustice a week from now. That does not change. People have issues, and we address this issue because there are times people will do things for vindictive reasons. Without question, a.k.a., excuse me, Sam Thurman, a.k.a. Sean Johnson, and I'm pretty sure based upon no findings of Sean Johnson, back on Google, uh, it may be under another alias, and we will locate it. But I'll tell you right now, this is what we are supposed to do. The injustice that has happened to the RP 6 is self-evident for every person that we have talked to, every person that we have shared this story with are left with a puzzled look on their face. What in the world is going on in this case? This case should have never went to trial, should have never been criminalized. Nothing should have happened here that has taken place. Sam Thurman was an advocate for that injustice. He chose to, to whatever, for whatever reason, vindictively, say exactly the opposite but again we have your words and we will continue to address this issue and i'll tell you right now uh, it's something that has to be looked at um ladies and gentlemen please continue to join us here on ajc radio we will continue to speak to these issues on a week-to-week basis uh a programming note we will be going october 27th will be the last live show until after the first of the year as families and people all around America get ready for the holiday season. Uh, we will have a show in review, if you will, that will be playing our best shows of 2016 that deal with issues that need to be dealt with. And we will address the issues that matter. So feel free, please, to tune in uh, and be a part of those programs if you get a chance as you are busy about the holiday season. And I can't believe I'm actually saying this when it seems like summer just got here and we are already exactly. talking about Christmas and uh, Thanksgiving and all these things. So uh, just an FYI, folks, uh, definitely, again, our last live show will be October 27th. We're going to ask you, please, to go to change.org uh, and uh, sign the petition. Search IRP6. Sign that petition as we seek justice for these men uh, and that they can come home for the holidays. It's not impossible, and justice is clear in this case. Uh, I'll tell you what, members of Congress, we sent a plea out to you tonight to send a letter, a personal letter to the President of the United States, asking him to consider uh, granting clemency to these six men. Who are they? Dave Zapolo, Demetrius Harper, David Banks, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, and Gary Walker. We give a very special thanks to Congressman Danny Davis out of Illinois, who has already sent a letter to the President, as well as Senator Bennett, asking to consider the circumstances that clemency can be granted. 
We fight for justice. Ladies and gentlemen, have a good night. We'll see you next time here on AJC Radio as we continue to bring the message of justice all around the world. Good night. when the citizens of this amazing country are jittery over a multitude of fears and heartaches, we need a leader who will become a trafficker in optimism and a peace peddler. Hillary will build a future we can all be proud of and proud of. Now that's an old story about Andrew Jackson as a child. He looked like anything but a future general or president. In fact, one of his boyhood friends said that Jim Brown, who lived in the same area, could throw Andrew to the ground three times out of four in wrestling matches. Years later, a a writer would ask, why was there four matches? Jim should have won, since in wrestling, if a person is thrown three times, it's all over, they lose. So what happened? His friend said, well, Jim would throw old Andy, but he'd get right up because Andy just wouldn't stay thrown. He wouldn't stay thrown. Now, the first person in history who wouldn't stay thrown was a little baby born in Bethlehem of Judea. And that baby grew up, created a tumult. They put him in a grave, and three days later, the world knew he wouldn't stay thrown. Now here's a warning to those who might be tempted to spend the next four years trying to knock Hillary Clinton down. You better get ready for a woman who won't stay thrown. They they threw her down as the first lady, but she didn't stay thrown. They threw her down as a U.S. senator, but she wouldn't stay thrown. They threw her down as a secretary of state, but she wouldn't stay thrown. They threw her down in this very campaign, this campaign, but she won't stay thrown. No, she ain't gonna stay thrown.